0: Hey, everyone. This is Lee here along with my co-host, Nathan, and this is Means of Creation, a show all about the passion economy and the future of work. The show is made by Every, a writer's collective focused on business. And for those of you who haven't been catching our latest episodes, we are piloting a series of Web3 explainers, unpacking some fundamental concepts of Web3 from first principles. The goal is to explore various trends, topics, and projects that people want to learn more about, but find confusing or a little bit intimidating. And so as part of the series, we're bringing in a slate of new guests who are each experts in those topics to explain those different concepts without the jargon. So today's episode is going to be all about the intersection of Web3 and fashion. Before we dive into NFT fashion, it's important to note that paying for digital items is nothing new. Gamers have been purchasing stickers, outfits, and avatars for decades to the point where people are now spending billions of dollars each year on virtual items inside of games like Fortnite and Roblox. And this is really a reflection of the fact that our identities have become increasingly digital, and especially during COVID, our online world feels as real as the real world. And recently, the digital fashion world has obviously collided with Web3 and NFTs, opening up the possibility of turbocharging digital fashion with ownership and authenticity that's verifiable on-chain. As a couple of data points, last October, Dolce and Gabbana launched an NFT fashion collection, which sold for $6.1 million. Nike acquired Artifact in December, which is an NFT studio that produces digital collectibles, including sneakers. And I recently tweeted that fashion NFTs feel inevitable because NFT ownership is about community, belonging, status, investment, and utility, all of which are components that drive us to purchase fashion in the real world. So today, we're going to be exploring why we should be paying attention to fashion NFTs and how it's going to shake up the whole industry. And to do that, we're bringing on Danny Loftus, who is the founder of This Outfit Does Not Exist, a platform that's bringing digital fashion to life. She is also the founder of Drop, which is a new fashion NFT marketplace. Danny's also a member of RedDAO, a digital fashion DAO that's investing in NFTs and startups in the digital fashion ecosystem. So let's dive straight in. Welcome, Danny. We're so thrilled to have you here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So I would just love to start with the highest level um, kind of baseline definitions of how would you define digital fashion?
1: So I would define digital fashion as any worn garment created in the digital realm. And in my eyes, this falls into three categories. So you have IRL, so that is in real life. And that is just any physical garment that's produced with a digital backend, So a couple of examples are Tommy Hilfiger. So if you've ever bought something from Tommy Hilfiger in the past year or so, that was created utilizing digital design. So they committed to digitizing 60,000 items from their product library, built it from the ground up, and now everything is digitally produced. And the second type, which is something that only arose post Web3 boom, so in the past year, is the idea of physical garments accompanied by an NFT. Metafactory is doing this very well. There are also a couple of other luxury brands which are leveraging this for transparency purposes, etc. So that is the um, IRL option. Second type is what I call ORL. And so that is digital fashion worn on humans. And so that's originally how my exploration of digital fashion started and how I came to the fore was through having an Instagram account where I wore digital fashion items, either using a game engine where essentially the brands render it onto you or through AR filter. And so that's category two. And then the third and final category is what I would call URL or unreal life. And that is the fashion consumed director avatar. And so, you know, that can be the stuff that you're wearing in Fortnite, it can be your in game skins, but it can also now be clothes which you're wearing on your PFP. So a big moment for me was when Board Ape Yacht Club went to Christie's and we saw you know, so many of the apes on Twitter all suited and booted. And that for me is, you know, that unreal life URL component that we're moving into as the metaverse evolves.
0: Got it. So there's physical clothing with a digital backend or designed digitally. Um, there's digital clothes that are worn on actual humans using AR filters or some sort of technology that transposes those items onto our physical images and then there's the purely digital stuff that is not tied at all to our physical bodies or worlds but are worn in digital environments for instance on an avatar that's super interesting and it's it's a really interesting um kind of departure from i guess the origins of fashion and clothing which was really about you know, clothing ourselves and protecting ourselves from the elements, but it feels like it's going in this increasingly digital direction where it's more about identity and self expression. But I would love to get your thoughts, Danny, on like of those three categories that you outlined, what do you think is the most interesting and what are we going to see being really the basis of future innovation in the fashion world?
1: So, in my eyes, I'm very, very bullish on this direct to avatar economy. And there are a couple of reasons for this. So first of all I think the move to director to avatar is inevitable. I think it's been inevitable for quite a long time. You know, we have 3.4 billion gamers. And what's you know, transitioned this inevitability that's coming from the gaming space where I think we're going to see increasing adoption of gaming as this, you know, primary media form where everybody finds something they want to engage with is the fact that we've seen a really clear movement from social networks into becoming avatar-based, the most obvious one being meta. And so it's a movement from social media being somewhere where you curate a version of yourself. So you know, you're carefully selecting images or videos or snippets from your life that you're prepared to show into actually creating yourself from nothing. And so you have 4.5 billion social media users at present who I think in the next you know three to five years are going to become Digital, fully digital fashion consumers because they're going to need to dress their avatars. And for me, what's also very exciting about thinking of this as a vertical is the fact that the role of fashion in my eyes is a signaling mechanism. So, you know, you're demonstrating your self expression, maybe you're demonstrating your status, you're potentially also showing your affiliation through, you know, your brand identity, these kind of elements of tribalism. And in the physical world, you are bound to yourself as your physical biological body as this kind of baseline. However, when we're moving to these fully created digital identities where you are molding an avatar however you would like, your relationship to the clothing is going to be completely different. And so I think a really brilliant example is what we're seeing in Fortnite where we've seen what's known as a default culture emerge, where if you are wearing a default skin, so essentially the skin that you get when you first enter the game, You're actually now slated by other players, and there's an entire YouTube genre about it. And the people who are doing that slating, and this is obviously a bit of an assumption, but in my eyes, this is not, you know, your traditional fashion girl you're gonna be seeing at the front row of fashion week who's looking everybody else up and down. It's people who would have never seen themselves as fashionistas or judgy in terms of aesthetics, who are now engaging because it's become such a powerful signaling mechanism in this world. And What's also important to note about, you know, the world that it's significant in is Fortnite is not a fashion game. It isn't a game where what you wear is linked to your success in game. And the majority of these skins are actually bought. So the fact that these underlying social factors where fashion has become so important have arisen for me is really indicative of the shift that we're going to see in the next few years as we move direct to avatar.
2: It seems like there's this sort of like core human desire to be, uh, you know, recognized, to be distinguished, you know, to project some specific uh, personality traits or character traits or signal some allegiance to some group of people, right? Um, Some values and a way that we've always done that in our appearance in the same way you might wear like, you know, a certain hairstyle or a jacket or whatever. You can also wear a bored ape on your Twitter. Right. And that like wearing a PFP on a profile is like, I think a correct way to understand it as it is a fashion statement. And people joke like, you know, bored apes are like Birkin bags for tech bros, (laughs) but like, it's kind of true. Like it is, it's, it's, it it signals something about your values in the community that you want to be a part of, but it also signals some sort of status or wealth um, or knowledge or whatever, if you were there early. And, and uh, like, when I think of digital fashion, the question I have for you is like, like how do you see it evolving? Cause the first thing that comes to mind is like, you know, people, you know, might wear something on an avatar in a game. It, it doesn't come to mind immediately. Like all the like, you know, profile pick uh, sort of like NFT collections, but, but I think that's part of it. And it's interesting because people like are on Twitter. And so they're using that surface area to project the things that they want to project. Like, how do you see it evolving? Like all of a sudden last year, it became cool to have your profile picture, not be an actual picture of you, but to have be something that you bought basically. Like, what do you think might happen next? Like what are the other surface areas you think will sort of be uh, utilized, I guess, for for these purposes that currently aren't?
1: Great question. And I love the term surface area that you use because in a very similar way to Fortnite, it's all about context, right? You know, for me, I think interoperability is obviously absolutely integral and but I think there are certain conditions behind it. So an example that I use is the way that you wouldn't wear an Eau dress to an NBA game and you wouldn't wear your signed NBA shirt to an Eau show because you wouldn't be signaling in the way that you would want to. The people there really wouldn't care. So what's super important mm-hmm. to look at when you're thinking about, you know, where is digital fashion going to be the next big thing is, where are the underlying characteristics that make it a valuable or powerful social signaler going to emerge and why? And so... I think around that, first of all, you know, needing a degree of interoperability is a given. At the moment, the places where digital fashion is the most powerful social signaler in the direct avatar market are Fortnite, for example, with, you know, 18 million users per month or Roblox. However, these operate as gated environments and they're gated environments both in terms of the fact that I cannot take, you know, my Galaxy Fortnite skin and take it into Roblox or take it into World of Warcraft. Therefore, limiting that that signaling value to a gated environment. But secondly, it's the clear fact that you also can't monetize. And those are two crucial things that are holding digital fashion back. I think in terms of this lack of being able to wear cross-platform, I think of it as the equivalent of asking somebody to buy a dress or buy, let's say, a really sick leather jacket. But you actually have to take it off when you leave the party you're at or when you leave the neighborhood. And that doesn't make it super compelling as a purchase. And so one of the key things is making sure these things can move across across worlds when and where needed. Second thing that I think is absolutely integral, and I think we've seen it with the evolution of the NFT space that we're experiencing now, is this idea of curated display. So you go into our OpenSea wallet and, you know, I obviously have the Red Dow wallet and we have the largest deployment of capital into the digital fashion space, you know, full stop. And, our NFTs aren't properly displayed. They're not, we can't curate them, they're not displayed on a mannequin. You know, digital fashion is also not digital art. So you don't want to see it 2D, you want to see it in 360 view. Maybe you also want to play with the texture of the materials. So I think there's going to be a big curation play. And then I also think there's going to be a lot of innovation in terms of creativity. And so that will both take the form of, you know, materials and experimentation. And there is a really high barrier at the moment. In terms of the tech stack, in terms of the tooling and software. And you know, also getting those from traditional fashion schools to really be incentivized to learn how to create digitally and seeing that as an exciting, either complementary or supplementary medium. And you know, the second thing being exciting and innovative smart contract use. So, you know, for me, when I think of the future of digital fashion, I look at what's going on in digital art and how we're seeing, you know, pieces which change with the stock market or can be le- linked to the price of ETH. So you know, what if you had a dress that got eaten by moths when you know, the price of ETH or the currency and chain it was built on dropped? Or what if we had a dress which automatically shifted every season, so digital fast fashion? And I think looking to the future, I'm really excited to see that technological deployment as a way of heightening our emotional connection to the garments as art, as opposed to just tech being seen as a gimmick, which it has been traditionally in the fashion industry.
0: Yeah, that that's really interesting. It's exciting to think about all of the possibilities of, you know, when fashion is rooted in code versus physical materials that have, you know, very constrained properties. I was wondering, Danny, if you could walk us through the historical development of digital fashion and some of the key moments in the industry or turning points that you think are interesting or notable to call out and use that to sort of frame which like how far we are into the industry's development right now of
1: course so lee i think the point that you made at the beginning of this episode was a very very good one that digital fashion even though it's taken off this year is not new you know as long as there have been avatars and you know social simulation games there has been digital fashion so sims as of 2000 you know we were all sitting there behind our computer it was a lot of my childhood dressing and styling our avatars and you know they already were very early in what I'd call the luxury brand collaboration game. You know, as of 2019, they were collaborating with Machino. They also had expansion packs with H&M. So fashion there was already very integral. You know, then we had Fortnite as of 2017. And when that was launched again, the skins dynamic became a really, really cool component. And what's interesting in terms of situating this is these were not referred to as fashion. These were referred to as skins. And, and that really, for me, shows if you speak to any gamer how fashion is associated with a certain culture you know maybe a quite hierarchical snobby aesthetically dominated culture where for them skins and cosmetics is much more to do with that culture of self expression that's game native even though in my eyes they're the same thing mm-hmm. and so you know let's say 2000 to 2017 digital fashion existed but it was very very much in game and game situated what we started seeing from 2017 onwards was the advent of fashion created digitally. So it's fashion first, but the creation mechanisms are digital. And, you know, the true pioneers in this were, of course, The Fabricant. And um, I believe they were founded in 2018. You know, Amber, the founder, is a true pioneer in the space. She did her graduate show all digitally, even though the tech stack wasn't even there, which I think is absolutely unbelievable. And then in 2019, that was the first time that I ever saw ORL Fashion and you know it was a fabricant. They sold a dress for nine thousand five hundred dollars, called the iridescence dress, and it was on, I believe it was on ETH. And it was the first time a garment was digitally rendered onto a human being. And there was you know absolute outrage from the press. They had no idea why anybody would spend so much money on a digital good. Whereas you know you look at now nine thousand five hundred dollars, you're like, wow, what a bargain! I could get you know <laughs> a tenth of a ward eight for that. Right. Um, and so. 2019, we saw them. We also saw Carlings, which is a Scandinavian brand, create a digital capsule collection, which again, you know, you sent in the photo, it was rendered on, onto human beings. And then moving from there, you know, when I started in 2020, what we had is we had, you know, a light spattering of, you know, the, these ORL marketplaces coming up. So we had DressX, we had X and they all, let, uh, we had the Replicant, and they were all launching end of 2020. So I think it was really, spurred on by the pandemic that we were starting to see this transition and so that's when i got in and you know when i got in i started trying to raise awareness and i had all of these magazines and these newspapers i was writing to and they were saying you know what big brands are in the space and i was like well no one yet but trust me everyone's going to be in it and you know come 2021 and you know the advent of the nft boom and the advent of the metaverse everybody went in so we had you know gucci and roblox and one of the biggest things that happened there was they launched i believe it was two weeks under a personalized experience designed by the creative director of gucci and within that there were in-game items which were given value by a time scarcity dynamic and so i believe the most scarce one was a dionysus bag it was originally sold for five dollars fifty for an hour within game and then made headlines because it was sold on secondary market for $4,200, not even as an NFT. And that Hmm. really indicated, I think, to the world, the shift in how people perceive digital goods. So that was a very, very big moment that happened last year. Then obviously we saw Balenciaga going into Fortnite, Gucci going into Fortnite, and, you know, every single luxury brand saying either metaverse or NFTs or both, we are going to put a stake in the ground in terms of digital fashion. And so I think where we are now, um, and I'll just touch on it very briefly in terms of actually the luxury brand perspective is that all of these luxury brands understand that they have to have a digitally native presence. I think they're still struggling with the idea of a digitally first presence. You know, the only people I've seen do it very well is Nike with the acquisition of Artifact because that wasn't saying, okay, look, this is a marketing exercise to redirect attention and dollars towards physical clothes. It was, this is a entirely novel revenue stream that we are investing in. And I think that everybody is trying to grapple with how to do that. And I think the shift that we're going to see in, you know, the coming year, two years, five years, is teams being built within all the luxury houses that focus on digital fashion as a revenue stream and as a market in and of itself, as opposed to, you know, marketing supplementary vertical.
2: Interesting. I'm really curious to hear more about how the marketplaces for digitally worn fashion, like lenses basically work, because... To me, it seems like there's a really clear parallel between like PFP collections, like you know CryptoPunks and Bored Apes, and what you could potentially do with lenses. Like if there was a platform where there was a camera app that used NFT-based lenses, where you had to own the NFT of the lens in order to use that lens, and there's a collection of lenses. So like, you know, the classic original, like whatever, Snapchat lens of like the flower thing, you could imagine them having a thousand of those, but each one is like a slightly different crown of flowers or whatever, or slightly different, like digital makeup that it puts on you, like you could imagine that would work super well. So I'm curious, like why it hasn't happened yet or what these marketplaces are doing. It just seems like it's kind of like right there waiting to happen. So
1: I genuinely couldn't agree with you more. I think one of the things that, you know, we see with digital fashion that I think I shout about quite a lot is how underdeveloped we are as a market, you know, looking at, let's just say the capital deployment. So Red Dow has, I would say we've deployed around maximum six or $7 million into the space.
0: And that's into NFTs or NFTs and startups? NFTs and space. startups.
1: And that is the uh, maximum amount of capital deployed by far. And if you compare that to, you know, the digital art space, that is absolutely minute. Right. Similarly, if you compare it to the traditional fashion industry that is worth... trillion. That's such a blip on the radar. And so I think what we're seeing is this incredible earliness. And so we're still at a stage where people aren't optimizing for all of the different ways, exactly as you said, Nathan, things can be worn. Um, A project that I think is absolutely brilliant, 10KTF. And what they're doing is they are a derivatives project. It's very, very cute. The way they've done it is it's set. the story is based around a Japanese shoemaker And he does these limited edition drops based on specific NFTs. So for example, he'll say, okay, for the next hour, we're opening my shop to Pudgy Penguins. And you can have your Pudgy Penguin put on a digital shoe or a digital backpack. So it's operating as a derivatives project. And I really like that, Nathan, in the way that you said, because what you're doing is you're piggybacking off the connection somebody has to an existing collectible that they own. And, you know, around the lenses, I also think that's a colossal opportunity and I think we saw it with, you know, Bored Apes for Christie's, and there are actually yeah. a lot of different independent Board Ape projects, which are styling and dressing the apes. But I think we're definitely going to come to a point where people are still very early in conceptualizing what worn is. You know, people understand, okay, I want to wear this in Fortnite. But I think what we're going to see, Nathan, exactly as you said, in the next year is what else constitutes what I refer to as a worn environment or a wearer, and how broad can you make it?
2: Yeah. Like, is anybody making a marketplace for NFT lenses, like Snapchat lenses, but it's an NFT and you have to buy it in order So to there it? is
1: a marketplace for that, but the marketplace for that um, is, it's called Filter, just came out of Y Combinator, but mm-hmm. it is focused on filters worn on human beings. Gated, bought as NFTs, it's not focusing on filters uh-huh. for your existing NFTs.
2: Okay, gotcha. And when you say filter, is it like a Snapchat lens where it's like AR stuff happening? Or is it when I think filter, I think more like, oh, like the, you know, blacks are more bluey looking or whatever. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs>
1: So I think one of my favorite rabbit holes to go down is, you know, you go on Instagram and you look in the filter marketplace and there are ridiculously oh. talented creators. Like some of the stuff they make, you know, everything from fairy wings, per- perfectly mapped onto your body to, you know, distorting your face, you yeah. know, headpieces. Like there's an incredible amount of talent. I think what's very interesting um, to draw attention to in terms of, you know, the URL filter situation is that face filters have a much simpler UX than digital fashion filters. And so, you know, if I want to do a face filter, I take my phone, I put it in front of my face, bam, done. Whereas what you have with digital fashion is you have to put the phone somewhere. You have to step back. You have to, you know, go back every time you want to switch outfits. Very interestingly in terms of that snap is doing a lot in terms of optimization. So they had a collaboration with Prada and you had a handbag on you and you could be standing at the other side of the room and if you just swiped in the air, it would automatically know you wanted to change handbag. And, you know, they did a similar thing with voice activation where you could say change or you clap. And so that kind of optimization is already being done, but it's just something to note in terms of anyone building an application that it is a much more high friction experience.
2: Fascinating. Yeah, it seems like that, like Snapchat and Instagram what they're already doing with lenses and filters and everything is just going to collide with NFTs. Like it just seems inevitable, hundred percent. but I don't know.
0: Okay. So I want to play devil's advocate and ask you about like why it's important that digital fashion is on chain, why it needs to be an NFT because per the the stats that you cited, the industry is still really, really nascent. The dollars going into digital fashion NFTs is six to $7 million, which is negligible compared to the global, you know, market for collectibles or skins in games in these closed environments. So why is it important that these items are interoperable, why they're tracked on chain when users are spending the bulk of their time engaging in a handful of virtual worlds already that are closed? And wouldn't it just be better if there were additional digital items that they could purchase inside of those environments that that had utility and had an audience versus trying to create a net new market around NFTs? Yeah. So I think
1: the interoperability thing, just to start with, is to do with the proliferation of the metaverse that we are in the process of seeing. You know, for me, the metaverse is this overarching virtual layer, which exists in real time, you know, synchronously with our physical world. And there is not a single metaverse. You know, there are multiple proto-metaverses that exist to form this layer and so what we're seeing is yes we have fortnite yes we have roblox but we're seeing increasing amount of competitors in the space you know be that sandbox Decentraland, and those on chain but also you know it's going to be an interesting thing to see whether we move into a space where we have one larger proto-metaverse let's say something like meta for argument's sake within which there are smaller you know fractured fragmented components where you know lee decides that she wants to socialize or live in a specific way you know nathan wants to socialize in another but it's all housed in a single environment or what i think is more likely is there'll be a lot of niche environments and operating almost walllessly and you'll hop between them based on preference and so within that you know yes there's definitely a question of whether you'll want to have multiple identities. And I think that's definitely going to be an interesting one. If I had to bet, I'd say we're going to want like four or five, but not a hundred. So you can experiment with various versions of yourself. But there'll definitely be an element to which you want to consistently express yourself if needed and hold your goods. And therefore, you want to shift them. Secondly, just from a pragmatic perspective, you know, Fortnite is doing phenomenally right now, but if tomorrow it went bust, you would lose every single dollar and every single asset you have invested in, including all of you know, the opportunity cost in terms of the time you've spent acquiring specific assets. So it all goes bust if whatever platform you're on crashes tomorrow, if things aren't on chain, and if you don't have that security. And then I think the final one, which is very, very important, is this idea of monetization. And so there was an interesting stat from zoo um, a report they did a couple of years ago, which said 81% of gamers aware of skins would pay more If they had real financial value. And so there is a deep desire to monetize from skins in terms of just A, the consumer base. But then, you know, the way that that then moves up to the creators. So, one of the reasons in my eyes that we're not seeing, you know, kids jumping out of fashion school to become digital designers and learn the tech stack is the fact that it does not seem financially viable at the moment. Whereas, we're starting to see the shift with artists where every single person says, how can I get involved in NFTs? Because it's a lucrative market. And in the physical fashion industry, we have this immense disparity where, you know, you can be an incredible designer or garment maker or pattern maker, but ultimately you probably aren't the one financially benefiting from creation. Whereas if you move things on chain, first of all, you have direct access to a consumer base leveraging these digital fashion specific marketplaces or even leveraging something like OpenSea. But then secondly, around that, you can have you know, all the things that we understand to be valuable, like royalty mechanisms to make it far more lucrative and allow you to sustain yourself in a way you wouldn't have been able to while you're in the physical space.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. I, there there were a bunch of startups a few years ago, kind of when the sharing economy concept took off of like being able to rent out your closet to other women, usually women. I don't know if men <laughs> care about renting fashion, usually women. And the idea was like, you could actually turn things that you owned into productive assets and actually earn revenue from them. I think that the challenge of doing so in a physical fashion world is all of the logistics around transferring items, the handover, the cleaning, turnaround yeah. for those items, making sure it fits the specific person you're renting it to. Whereas digital fashion feels like it would unlock a lot of those constraints that were particular to the physical world. A hundred percent.
1: Actually, very interesting stat. I read a couple of years ago when the sharing economy trend took off that actually men value ownership, so don't participate in rental services, which I thought was just Hmm. a pretty interesting anthropological stat um, to bring out. But yeah, so I have stuff rented out and I have this consistent concern around, is my stuff going to get ruined? The company handles all the logistics for me, but, you know, especially if you have like a one-off item, you are, it's very, very high risk. And what you have obviously with digital, I'm, you know, I'm building around this as well. You know, the platform that I'm building will have these rental functionalities is this ability to automate return, automate reimbursement. And then I think to layer on top of that, you can also benefit from provenance. And what I mean by that is, you know, in the way that you can obviously trace who's owned an NFT previously. And let's say my dress had been owned by Kate Moss, that would make it more valuable. I could also see that yeah. you know, Kate Moss had maybe rented my item. And you know if you want to go one step further than that, there is also the ability to bring memories on chain. So let's say Kate Moss wears your, your item in a fashion show and there's also a video clip stored on chain alongside the item. That could be very valuable. Or, you know, going on to the flip side, what if you've had somebody complete an amazing quest who's a streamer when wearing your item? There are all of these ways to layer on value with provenance once you move things onto the blockchain, which I think are really interesting to explore.
2: Are there digital fashion shows, just speaking of the thing you just mentioned? So
1: there are. So there was IMVU, the game, um, went quite hard on this. We've also got one coming up. We've got Hmm. Decentraland Fashion Week coming up in a couple of months. We have... Fortnite do their little mini kind of fashion shows with emotes even though they don't I don't believe they call them fashion shows. And what was also very interesting is in Animal Crossing there was this very organic, you know, take up of fashion during the pandemic where people would be copying let's say Burberry outfits or Met Gala outfits onto their animals in Animal Crossing and Animal Crossing also threw a fashion show. So I think Nathan they're coming up, but I think we're still dealing with platforms where you need more of a critical mass to make them really, really valuable and, you know, bring in those experiential elements and also those elements of combined cultural experience that make fashion weeks and all culture experiences valuable. I think that still has a little bit of a way to go.
0: If digital fashion, or let me clarify, if NFT fashion does not take off in a few years, as how we're all expecting it to. what do you think would be the primary reasons driving that?
1: Great question. Digital fashion for me is inevitable. At the end of the day, you know, we're moving into a world where social media networks are becoming direct avatar based. People need clothes. Therefore, digital fashion will 100% happen. If it wasn't going to be NFT based fashion, I think it would be exactly the reason that you know you just brought up. There would be platforms like, let's say Metrific didn't allow in NFTs or Fortnite or Roblox that continue to capture the market. And people said, okay, there's actually no point in me buying this on-chain because where I actually need to signal and express myself doesn't facilitate this idea of wearership for those on-chain goods. So actually, you know what, I'll just buy it in platform.
0: That makes sense. So basically the failure case is consumers remain essentially locked in to a handful of these closed ecosystems that are offering their own versions of self-expression through digital fashion, but they're not NFTs. And so users have no need or no way to express a desire for interoperability in that exactly. world. Exactly.
1: I think, so something that I wrote, I think it was in March or April of last year, was that for me, digital fashion has to be worn in order to constitute fashion. So a lot of the things that we've seen coming up has be, have been like, you know, a gorgeous video of a dress or a photo of a sneaker. And for me, that equates to fashion photography or it's art. You know, the medium by which art is experienced is through, you know, I'd say it's, it's sight, Whereas fashion is experienced Mm -hmm. by being worn. And for me, that is a clear differentiator between the two. So I think it's really around facilitating wearership and facilitating environments where people can wear their items, but also really want to wear their items.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about the supply side of the fashion industry. So based on recent news, it's definitely apparent that a lot of Um, existing sort of established fashion brands from the physical world are trying to get into fashion NFTs or digital fashion in different ways. But at the same time, there's also um, a lot of new indie designers who are perhaps more digitally native coming into the industry. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how this all shakes out and how fashion NFTs are going to impact or not the overall landscape on the supply side.
1: So I think it's really interesting because the way that I see digital fashion is I see digital fashion as this colossal empowerment mechanism to make the fashion industry, in my eyes, what it it should have been. And when I say should have been, I mean it's this place for enhanced creative expression. So people who are talented designers being able to produce what they want, and also people who are consumers being able to access those garments. And so the first thing that that boils down to is this idea of access and price point. And so fashion is one of the worst value destroyers In its physical form, so it's essentially not quite an oligopoly, but you know, I believe it's the ten brands capture hundred percent of the economic profit, or something absolutely crazy like that. And that's because they've erected these walls, which span a the economies of scale that they have, b the access and exposure they have to, you know, the individuals or you know also the cities and the events in the industry that propel their brands to success. And, you know, if I were an emerging fashion designer, let's say from Mexico City, the sunk cost of me just starting off as a creator would be incredibly high. I would then have an issue getting exposure if I didn't know the right people for my brand. And ultimately, it would be very, very hard for me to succeed or scale in any way from that small independent brand into a brand that was actually competitive with the likes of LVMH, the the likes of Gucci, et cetera. And what digital fashion facilitates is the ability to have access to little more than a computer an Instagram or Snap or, you know, TikTok and be able to produce my clothes, get them onto people and get them seen using algorithmically generated assistance. And then, you know, if and when I've garnered that consumer base and I want to move to physical production, I can do that at that stage, but it really gives access to the industry. And I think, you know, the second side of it is this idea that as a consumer, instead of paying, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars to creatively express yourself in a specific way, you can use digital fashion as a way to enhance your self-expression for, let's say maybe, you know, $10 or $15, which is super, super exciting. And I think in terms of the way that that relates to the large brands, I think we are, and I hope we are going to see an influx of these new creatives from anywhere in the world leveraging digital fashion. To diversify fashion as this very exciting and very expressive medium. And you know, hopefully using NFTs to also really reap the financial rewards. And you know, then on the other side, we have large brands who, you know, traditionally have operated in a way that I would say is not very Web3 native. You know, first of all, in terms of the value system. So Web3 is all about transparency and it's all about inclusivity, and it's also, you know, all about the distribution of income and distribution of resources, which is something that the fashion industry has traditionally operated on being this very gated exclusive industry. So there's an incompatibility there. And I think the challenge that they're going to come across is really engaging with digital fashion in a way that's truly authentic. And so it's not just saying, okay, we're going to empower our consumers by allowing them to resell this NFT and you know reap a percentage of profit. It's also thinking about when there's a company get that money back, where does it go and who does it go to? And how is that being displayed and traced?
0: Yeah, it's it's a really compelling argument, I think, for why there's going to be this like emergence of smaller independent creators who may not come from traditional backgrounds or have existing relationships and how digital fashion is going to empower them. I think um, it's interesting to put that in juxtaposition with what we initially believed the web two platforms and internet would also accomplish. So, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, um, there was this theory called the long tail, the long tail. Oh my gosh. I forgot. Yeah. What the,
2: long tail. yeah
0: the long tail. Chris <laughs> Anderson's Anderson. book. Bu- yes. Yeah. Chris Anderson's book, the long tail. And the idea was basically that the internet is going to Remove all these barriers to entry for all sorts of different creators, ranging from website creators to musicians, to bloggers, whomever. Like Anyone can use the internet, set up a presence and reach end consumers. And so therefore, you're going to have the success of the long tail, who um, is going to capture a lot more attention and demand versus historically when we were restricted to store shelves that had very limited space or malls that had limited um, numbers of retail outlets in them. And obviously, that didn't quite end up happening. Like, despite the internet, we have had the emergence of a handful of dominant platforms, creators that have had mega success and, like, really an absence of long tail success. Um, And it's interesting to think about that, um, especially contrasting it with what you mentioned, because I think there are notable differences now, um, specifically that even though the internet did enable everyone to set up a presence online, it also didn't free them from the constraints of the physical world. Whereas a brand, as a new manufacturer of physical products, you still had to procure the raw goods to make your things, ship them, et cetera. All of those things benefit from economies of scale. And then I think the discovery platforms were also constructed in such a way as to benefit people with existing followings. But Yeah, this is kind of a stream of consciousness, Um, but I'm just curious if you had any thoughts on that. I think it's
1: very interesting. I think the way I see it is what digital fashion can do is democratize to a point. So, you know, we're taking away the financial impediments. We're taking away the impediments as they relate to exposition, even though exactly as you said, when I say algorithmically generated assistance, it also actually relies on the algorithm assisting you. I think the biggest challenge that is going to come to having like this constant churn rate is actually what i would call brand value and so i think we're going to see digitally native brands really come in especially in the next couple of years to challenge the existing luxury incumbents in ways that they've never been challenged before but what you have with a brand is something much more akin i wouldn't necessarily say network effect but essentially you have communities that think something is cool. And then if a brand plays it right, it operates as the signaling mechanism with ripple effect. And I think, you know, the best example we've seen so far in the digital fashion space, slash the only example, is Artifact and how exceptionally they've done with their marketing and what it means to therefore own something that's Artifact, which has driven up the price to where, you know, a $1 Meta Pigeon was, I think it was going for what, like $60,000? And I think what you see with fashion brands and you know, we've seen it with like, I'm very interested in like, you know, the links between streetwear culture and the way that digital fashion will move because in the same way that was a bottom up incumbent, which now the luxury players have to engage with in order to stay relevant. You know, things like Supreme have operated as these incredible signaling mechanisms and really entrenched themselves in a way that psychologically it's then understood that they have a specific value. And I think then if you're coming up as a new streetwear brand, you're, challenging, you're challenged by people's perception of how valuable Supreme is and, oh, this isn't as powerful as a signaler. And I think that's the thing that will stay consistent no matter, you know, what barriers you remove is if you can drive really strong brand value and, you know, the sociology behind what you do in the way that that signals is powerful enough, then you have an incredible moat that you've erected. And that will still be true in terms of challenging incumbents, but hopefully all of the rest of those mechanisms will be removed.
2: I also think it's worth putting in a plug for like the long tail kind of was right. Like it's hard to remember what, the, what life was like before the internet. But I mean, there are certainly like big winners now. And so mm-hmm. it's not that power is dissipated and everything is evenly spread out amongst everyone. But it is the case that there's like just a massive increase in the number of brands. Like yeah. if you just go on Instagram and it's like, there's ads from some random companies trying to sell you a mattress and trying to sell you a shirt and trying to sell you shoes or a belt. And, you know, a lot of these companies, you know, some of them are just like kind of cheap drop shipping type operations, but a lot of them develop their own products that are really cool. And, you know, they have new ways to reach people that they couldn't before. And the same with media and content. Yeah. I mean, there's there's all sorts of new success that has happened um, that, that wasn't possible. And I think when the architecture that society kind of rests on, undergoes a transformation it's not the case that there's zero power in the new world but it is the case often that different people can accumulate a whole lot of power and so maybe there's a changing of the guard in some ways and it's also the case that the you know there might be room for like a 10x increase the number of people who can operate mm-hmm. versus before even if there's still big disparities in how many people they reach or how much money they mm-hmm. make or whatever. and i
1: think nathan when you say that like for me that just brings up the image of like my high street in london and so you know one of the big problems that I have with London is you cannot afford to be a small independent shop, be it, you know, fashion or anything else and be on a major high street. And that's what we're seeing in, you know, the majority of capitals in developed economies. And then, you know, you can go on Instagram and you can see every single brand. And so if you remove those barriers to entry and what's also exciting about digital fashion is there's no, there's no shipping cost. So you can literally be operating from anywhere in the world And so that can really diversify the ecosystem. And hopefully that will also be complemented by the fact that, you know, we're going to maybe have four or five identities and want to express ourselves differently in them, which hopefully will also heighten the demand for the variety of fashion that we're consuming. And hopefully continue that kind of long tail effect through that.
0: I think that's a really great point. Like there, there has been a flourishing of the long tail. In terms of it exists, like all of these small niche creators now exist, whereas previously they were not putting out content on the internet.
2: Right. They're employees somewhere. Exactly. You know? yeah. But I think
0: the the key missing thing today is that long tail creators oftentimes does not have a viable monetization method because right. of the way that these platforms are constructed, in that they're ad based or they're a all in one bundle, like a Spotify subscription. And so the long tail is not earning a significant portion of that. But NFTs offer a built-in monetization method that can enable the long tail to actually be able to monetize. Danny, I I always like approach this podcast from the perspective of like what if my mother were listening or what if, you know, one of our non-crypto-pilled friends were listening? And so, I'd be curious to hear your response to someone who might hear all this and think like, but fashion is so tactile. It's so instinctive. It's it's an emotion, I feel, when I touch my favorite dress or when I hold something that's made of silk or cashmere, and that cannot be replicated digitally. And so, you know, given that it's not as rich as an experience as physical fashion, what is the point? Like, why would people want to spend so much money on these items?
1: So first of all, um, there's a big joke in my family that I'm going to get cancelled for how much I like physical clothes. So- I am, you know, in no way one of those people who's saying that we are moving towards a future where we have, you know, a black all in one and we overlay and that's, you know, the whole point of it. I see digital fashion as complementary to physical fashion, you know, not supplementary to it. And, you know, we live in a society where, you know, on the one hand, you may have, let's say, you know, your, your grandmother's heirloom, which is loaded with history and has, Texture and it's tactile and it is very precious, and you will keep it for the rest of your life. On the other hand, we have things that we buy in, you know, Zara or Primark. And you know, it's something like the average UK consumer wears a garment 10 times before it's discarded. And for me, that's the place where digital fashion comes in. You know, fashion is very interesting in my eyes, and I've always found it very interesting coming from a business background, because if you're looking at starting a business, what you do in general is you say, okay, how can I make an MVP and find product market fit and see if actually there's demand for what I'm creating? The fashion industry says, we're going to be creating this and then we're going to ship product and we're going to actually stimulate demand using advertising. And from a sustainability perspective that hasn't worked incredibly well for them, there's something like you know 40% of clothes per season are wasted on overstock, which is colossal. And you know the fashion industry has the same amount of emissions as the airline and maritime industries combined so it's 10 percent of global carbon emissions which is colossal and so those trends and that push to consistently reform your identity which the fashion industry and i would say you know general society to a degree conditions that is what digital fashion can supplement it can allow you to experiment and self-express and then also allow you to think consciously about what you want to invest your money in in the physical world And have those, you know, hyper tactile, maybe higher value pieces, which you really cover and cherish.
0: That makes sense. It's a compliment. It's not a supplement. It doesn't replace our existing wardrobes, but it's a new canvas for self-expression in a sphere in which we're already spending more of our lives and time. Totally. Kind of the only thing
1: to overlay on that is, you know, that's my perspective. I am also, you know, millennial Gen Z cusp. So looking to Gen Z, there was something I read the other day where it was 60% of Gen Z sees their digital identity as more important than their physical one, which blew my mind. So, you know, that for me reverts back to fashion's power as a signaling mechanism. So, you know, Mm. maybe if you want to experiment or maybe if, you know, the place where all your friends are is Fortnite and that's how you get your flex and your social creds, then maybe it actually becomes, you know, more of, you know, a supplement because it's actually more important to you expressing there than having a tactile garment that you wear. So I think in my eyes and maybe for my generation and above, it will be this incredibly, you know, complementary way of enhancing our experience of fashion, but maybe for the generations to come, it's going to actually really be a supplement and an increasing amount of income will be invested in digital first.
2: Totally. And I just got to put in a plug for like, the same way that I really love the feel of like a nicely made physical object, I love the feel of really nicely made software. <laughs> like nothing is more satisfying than really crisp pixels with just the perfect drop shadow and, and just the perfect animation timing. It's also fast. I love it. I, I am So like there's this to-do list app Things, which is like terrible for collaboration, but just amazing in terms of the level of quality and polish that the software has. And I feel like it lights up the exact same part of my brain, you know? And so, I don't know, just throwing it out there that um, it's not a either or, it's an Mm -hmm. and, I think. I I agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. People just like nice things where they spend time and we spend time digitally. So.
0: Yeah. that's That's a really great point. I think we can't really think of it on the same axes as we think about physical items, but there's like a whole new basis of differentiation and experience that is unlocked through digital experiences. I wanna close out by uh, sort of recommendations and pointing our listeners in the directions of any sort of interesting books, articles, resources, projects that folks who are looking to learn more about digital fashion should check out. So yeah, Danny, could you share some interesting resources that folks could go to to learn more?
1: So first of all, I mean, I'm gonna have to start it with a plug. So. You know, this outfit doesn't exist. The newsletter that I've written, I started that to educate people and bring them into the space. The fabricant also does tremendous work in this, both in terms of, you know, from an education and consumer point of view, but also in terms of educating creators. So I would check that out. I would also say, um, Maggie McDowell from Vogue Business, I have always loved her writing. A lot of it covers digital fashion. And I believe she's also started an NFT fashion tracker. So that's, you know, a cute way to just keep up on what's going on in the space. And then I would also say following other arts-centric, you know, communities. So for example, uh, Vertical Crypto Art have a lot of really interesting spaces. And, you know, as I said, for me, looking at where the digital art space is going really helps to situate where the digital fashion space is moving to as well. So I would definitely check that out.
0: Incredible. So this outfit does not exist follow danny's newsletter and then um we'll also link all of the resources that she just mentioned in the show notes for today but really want to thank you danny for coming on the show this has been an amazing conversation i think we've all learned a ton um so really appreciate your joining us thank you so much for
1: having me it's been such a pleasure